All right. Uh, well, don't get too comfortable because I'm going to have us briefly stand again uh, and read our text for the morning, and then I'll pray. Um, the, the text should be, yeah, it's on the screen there, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Why don't we stand? This time I'll read it. Last time I had us all try to read it in unison, which didn't work. So this time, I'm just going to read it. You learn as you go sometimes, uh, and so I'm going to read this. Um, but let's stand for God's word. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious and limited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how deep, and how high his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than all we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Lord, we, uh, we come before you this morning, as we do every week, um, desperately in need of grounding in your word. Um, some of us come in here uh, excited about life, um, feeling close to you, feeling successful in a lot of different areas of life, uh, and things are going well. Um, those of us in that place need your grounding in your word today. Some of us come in here, we're just trying to get out of bed. Life is extremely hard. Circumstances are overwhelming. Uh, we feel like our own resources have reached their end, and we don't know what to do next. And Lord, those of us in that place need your grounding in your word this morning. Lord, uh, your scriptures are our authority. Uh, we submit to them before we hear your word. Um, humans' opinion, humans' teaching, humans' words are not our authority. Our culture is not our authority. Um, our authority is the Bible. Um, what it says is true, even if we disagree with it. And so, Lord, may all of us have a posture of humility and teachability before you. You have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word, and may we submit to it and learn from it this morning. May we not be over it, but may it be over us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, so as I was thinking about our, our text this morning, uh, it, got me, it got me thinking about uh, when you, uh, this idea of, has anyone here, st and it doesn't matter what age you were, but have you, have you seen some sort of activity uh, in action, and you were inspired by it, 
and uh, you wanted to start participating in it as a result of, of seeing it and being inspired by it. Uh, so maybe it was seeing an amazing guitar player or watching a, a band that you loved as a kid or as a grown-up, and you thought, you know, I think I could do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up the guitar and see if I can, can learn and become what I see uh, is being played out with excellence in front of me. Or uh, maybe... Uh, you had an illness as a child or an adult, or, and you had an amazing nurse or an amazing medical staff that, that took care of you or someone you loved and nursed them back to health. And it was so inspiring to you watching that play out and seeing that done that you thought, you know, I'm going to devote my life to the medical field. Or maybe you idolized an athlete as a child or as a, uh, a high schooler or college student, and you thought, you know, if I can just play this sport like them, uh, I could become like them, and so I'm going to start learning this sport the way, they, the way they play it. Now, in all of those examples, whether it's an instrument, a career path, or a, a certain sport, what do, we, what do we quickly learn as we engage in those things as people? I think we learned that those things are really hard. Those things are hard to engage in. It, the people we see doing it with excellence, uh, they didn't just start doing it that way. They, they had to practice. They needed time. They needed help. I remember in college, even, uh, I think everyone in college goes through a season where they want to learn to play the guitar. Maybe, I'm, maybe that's just me. But, uh, you know, uh, I remember starting to learn it, and I, I gave up within about a day and a half because my fingers hurt so bad. Does anyone relate to that with the guitar? So those of you who play, I have a lot of respect for you uh, because it does hurt a lot. Or maybe you have a hard time grasping the medical concepts associated with the field in, in, that you're pursuing in medicine. Um, it's not as easy as you watch the nurse come in and out of your room and adjust this medicine and, and you think, oh, I could probably do that. But then when you actually start learning the names and the the dosage and the, the intermixing of medicines, you realize, oh my gosh, this is incredibly hard. Has you ever met a nursing student who's stressed out? <laughs> or a, a, a pre-med or a doctor who's stressed out? Or you, you find that that move that you saw the athlete do was actually not as easy as advertised. Um, learning to do an effective crossover or a dribble between your legs, you look quite awkward when you first start doing it. We quickly realize we need help. We need time with these things, and, and we do need a lot of practice. We come to an end in ourself really quickly. I mean, just raise your hand if you've, if you've started out, and even if those three examples don't connect with you have, you, have you been inspired by something significant, tried it, and then given up within a day? Raise your hand if you've done that. Okay, so I think most of us are connecting with what I'm saying <laughs> this morning. Um, in the same way, whether you saw it or not, as we read, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, uh, is actually inviting us into something significant. It's inviting us into an activity. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, and we'll go through that this morning. But this activity, this thing we're being invited into, is actually beyond our wildest dreams. Uh, it's far more beautiful than mastering the guitar. 
It's far more important than a successful career. And it's far more significant than becoming a good athlete. But like my previous examples, we quickly realize in this activity that Ephesians is inviting us into, we quickly realize we are inadequate to the task. Uh, Left to ourselves and our own resources, we are inadequate to live out each day what Ephesians 3 is inviting us into. We also need help. We need time. We need practice. We need those things to engage in what we're being invited into. And so we're going to look at, this morning, three things. What the activity is, this, this thing God is actually inviting us into, what is it? What is the problem and the solution? So all of us have a problem with what we're being invited into. Um, but Ephesians tells us what the solution is to that. And then lastly, how can we jump in? How can we engage? How can we participate in this amazing invitation from God? So first, what activity is God inviting us into? Well, if we read the first part, and if you have your Bible, you can just keep it open this morning. Um, Paul writes, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. That should grab us really quickly in terms of uh, the passion, the inner fortitude that Paul is writing this. Jews, when they prayed, they would stand. So the idea that Paul is actually on his knees should grab us right away. Wow, why is he on his knees? It's this posture of, it's the the early church adopted more of a, 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 um, when the Christian church started to to, uh, unfold, This idea of praying on the knees became more a common practice because it was this image of complete desperation. The gospel reveals our desperation, and so it's this physical response to the absolute necessity we have for God to work in our lives. Paul realized it's not about me standing and being strong on my own. It's about me falling on my knees and calling out to God. So what is it that he's thinking of? He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. He's, he's, hard, he's going back to Ephesians 9, which Sam talked about last week. Um, he writes, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then further back in verse 8, he writes, just to clarify that, he says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles, or in other words, the whole world, about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. So what we see is God is actually inviting us. Paul is explaining this to us. When I think of all this, I'm falling to my knees. I'm calling out to God on your behalf. One commentator says, Paul is essentially here taking the entire church in his hands, close to his heart, and offering it up to the Father, which includes us. Paul is saying, all of us, not just Paul, is called into this great commission, into this worldwide adventure. Of what? Of calling people into a relationship with the Father. Did you notice in verse 14, he used the term Father? How did Jesus teach the the, uh, disciples to pray? The idea of calling God your Father in the Old Testament was 
was pretty uh, bold. And so the gospel, just by calling God your father, Paul is bringing us into the gospel. He's saying, if you're not in Christ, God is not your father. What our mission is, is to call people to understand this gospel that the, the previous, the whole letter of Ephesians has been laying out. And if we think about the other, other uh, sermons we've had in Ephesians, Paul is really laying out what this gospel is um, for the church, for us as individuals, and, and for the whole world. And what are the, just as a refresher, what are those things that Paul is saying, we now get to go tell the world? It's not just Paul. All of us have a role. Of course, it's going to look different depending on who we are and what our temperament is and where God has placed us. But what are those things we get to go tell the world? What are these things Paul's telling us to go and do? Well, the first thing is, as we've seen in Ephesians, all of us are separated from God by birth. Sin has entered humanity. It causes distortion, confusion in our lives. Um, all of us are still made in God's image and carry his, his, his parts of who he is and his beauty and his value, but it's been marred, it's been affected, it's been, it's been damaged. All of us need to be repaired inside. Sin is our greatest adversary in this life, and God had a plan to heal that, to restore that by sending his son who died on the cross who took our sin into his body on the tree. The sinless one became our sin for us. And our sin killed him, literally. He triumphantly rose from the dead on the third day, overcoming our sin, overcoming our death. He lived the perfect life none of us can live. If we receive him, he gives us not only the forgiveness of sin that all of us deal with, that our sin was literally given to him on the cross, but he also gives us his own righteousness, the righteousness he perfectly lived out by fulfilling the law in his earthly life. Those things are received as a gift when we receive the Holy Spirit into our life. And Paul is saying, this news, this truth, this reality of the Holy Spirit applying the work of Christ into all peoples if they receive him, all people groups of the world. It's not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles, Paul's saying. That good news is too good to be kept to ourselves, is what he's saying. We risk everything. Paul himself modeled that, risked everything that the nations would know this truth. Now, all, not all are going to receive it, but Paul is saying, even if one does, it's worth it. Spend your life that others would receive this good news of Jesus Christ risen from the dead into your life. Spend your life involved in that. It's going to look different for all of us. I get that. But that's the mission we're invited into. That's the adventure we're invited into. The good news of Jesus Christ dying for our sin, rising again from the dead to deal with our ultimate problem, which is our own sin. Now, you would think, is that good news to people, by the way, that idea? Um, the interesting thing is, I've thought about this a lot, God has invited all of us into that lifestyle of 
loving people, as I've heard some people say, loving people into the kingdom of God through our words, teaching them about the risen Lord Jesus and their own sin and their need for that, but also how we carry ourselves, how we live, right? Peter says, be ready always to have explanation for why people say, why do you have so much hope? Um, so it's, it's also how we live, how we carry ourselves. Um, I've always wondered why, it's interesting to me that, and Ephesians gets into this, that's the best news ever, that we get this, <laughs> all of our mess, all of our things we're ashamed of have been forgiven. And all the things we wish we could be, all the righteousness, all the holiness we longed to, to, to be, has actually been accomplished for us and given to us as a free gift. If that's such good news, why is it so hard not only to believe it ourselves, but then to pass it on to others. Like, it should be a slam dunk, right? If this is such good news, why is it so hard to live it out and to pass it on? You guys ever struggle with passing this good news on to others? Is it awkward? Is it hard? Is it a challenge? Or does anyone here feel like, oh, since the day I became a Christian, it's been nothing but easy for me to always talk about this with people and and always live this way. I, I never fall short Does anyone feel that way? Or is for all of us, it kind of a struggle at times? Like learning to play the guitar. Should be easy. Or or learning to become a nurse. It should be easy. Or or learning to play like Messi. It should be easy. But it's not. And the same thing is true with trying to participate in the expansion of God's kingdom in the world. So, so, So moving on, what is our problem then? And what is the solution? Because as we read in Ephesians, we keep going in 16 through 19. Paul's getting into the solution, but he's alluding to the problem. At, so as Paul lays out the solution in, in 16 through 13, he's alluding back to the problem that we have that he's already described in Ephesians that we'll get into here. So he says, I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. You see that? The spirit in us, that he would strengthen us. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that come from God. The enemies that Paul's alluded to in Ephesians that make this hard for us. And so what Paul's doing in Ephesians 13 through 19 is he's saying, you've got to be strong inside. Right? He's saying, if there's no depth in you, no strength in you, no love in you and grasping the love of the Father, what Paul's saying is living out this mission I'm calling you to is going to be really hard. If you're just kind of, if Christianity for you is just kind of a little part of your life and you keep it at the surface and you're way more committed to other things in your life like your career or sports or friendships, if, if you don't take your relationship with Jesus really seriously and really invest in that and really have it go down deep, you're going to have problems. What are the enemies? Well, the first one we've seen all throughout Ephesians and in Scripture in general is the flesh or the sin that still lives in us. 
Paul's clear. As Christians, we don't live in sin. Sin doesn't define us anymore. We're not in it like we were before the Holy Spirit circumcised our heart, but that sin, that flesh is still in us. So what does that flesh do? What is that sin nature that we all battle with, we all wrestle with? Paul writes in Romans 7, there's like a war going on inside me, right? There's this desire to do good, and then there's this thing in me that's battling that, saying, no, don't do those good things, do bad things. Has anyone experienced that in day-to-day life, by the way? Yeah, so all of us know that's true. So, the flesh. Why does it make, how does the flesh make it hard for us to engage, our first enemy? How does it make it hard for us to engage in this worldwide mission of telling others about Christ and living in such a way that we want to show Jesus to others? Whether it's our neighbor, our coworker, our family members, whoever it is. By the way, the people closest to us are usually the hardest to live like this around, right? It's easy to go somewhere else and do this, but the people close to us, it tends to be the hardest. The flesh is constantly swaying us into selfishness and comfort, okay? Constantly swaying us into selfishness and comfort. Uh, it, it prompts us to, to not risk to not be different, uh, to not do things that are hard, um, to not walk the narrow road. The flesh is telling us, do what's easy. Stay on the couch. <laughs> um, don't talk to that person. That would be really awkward. Uh, instead, keep the conversation surfacy. Don't, don't do something that would look weird. The flesh wants to essentially keep us in a place of our own comfort, our own world, don't make things hard, uh, and just do whatever feels good. That's going to be a problem in living out the gospel to others. Because so much of living out the gospel, of, of sharing the gospel with others and living that way, is talking about things that are hard. Is, is confronting things that are hard. Ideas like sin, ideas like the need for repentance, the ideas like your life is not your own. Those are not easy things to tell people who live in the seacoast of New Hampshire. That runs against everything that they're, also, they're being taught outside of, of the church. The second enemy, the second thing that makes it hard is the world. The world culture, the world system. Some the Bible has different words for this, but the idea here is the spirit of the age that we live in. So we got the flesh against us. Our own, that's our own issue internally, and all of us have different things we, we uh, gravitate toward with the flesh. But the world, all of us, we're, in the same, we're breathing the same air with the spirit of the age here as we live in uh, prosperous, comfortable New Hampshire. Um, the spirit of the age, I think, that we live in, and I, again, people are going to have different opinions on this, of what the core issues are in our, our day and age. They're always different. They change with the times. Um, but for us, it's things like, um, if it feels good, um, if it's a desire that you have inside of you, then it has to be good. So if you want to do something and it feels good to you, then that is what determines what's true. Um, 
And anyone who tells you that those desires, those urges, those feelings don't define you and are actually, actually harmful, those people are, are, are hateful. Um, those people want to judge. Those people want to subjugate you to a life of bondage where you have to give up those urges, those desires, those feelings to be accepted. And the only way to exist is to be able to have the freedom and support and affirmation to fully live out all of those things, all of those desires, all of those urges. In our day and age, if you come up against that, you're going against the world. You're going against the spirit of the age that we live in. And that's being taught at younger and younger ages. So as Christians, as we're trying to live out the mission of of telling others about Jesus, do you think that some of the things that Jesus teaches are going to disagree with that? Does Jesus teach us that certain urges, certain things that come from our heart, are actually not good? Does Jesus teach that? that there are certain things in us that actually are corrupted. Uh, There are certain things inside of our heart. Jesus, (laughs) the Pharisees were all bent out of shape because people weren't washing their hands. I know parents, you want your kids to wash their hands before dinner. But the Pharisees were getting bent out of shape. They're like, wash your hands, man. We're about to eat, and your hands are dirty. You're going to get dirty. If you you eat that food, it's going to defile you all the way on the inside. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no understanding of sin at all. Sin is what comes from inside of you. It's the things that come out of your heart. And his list there is pretty convicting. The list of what Jesus mentions, sexual immorality, envy, idolatry, hatred, murder, greed. He just goes at them. And by default, he comes at us. He comes even at... He has the nerve to talk to to Seacoast, New Hampshire people who are saying, we know a lot better than you, Jesus, about what's actually wrong with the world. Jesus says, no, this is what's true. Do you trust me? So as we live out the gospel in our context, it's going to be really hard because the world is telling everyone around us the opposite of what we're trying to teach. That's the second enemy. The last one, of course, is the evil one and his workers. Um, Satan. His, his tactics are well known. Um, he seeks to accuse us. He seeks to discourage us. Uh, he, he seeks to um, make us doubt God's love and God's plans. So he'll say things like, how could you be used in God's mission in the world? You're such a mess. You, you don't speak well. You don't know answers. You, you're so impure in these areas of your life. How could you ever be a spokesperson for Christ? You should just be quiet and sit down and don't engage because what good are you? Or he'll say things like, God doesn't love you. Why, why would God love you? You're a sinner. You're a mess. You've done so many things and you're currently doing so many things that are reprehensible. God doesn't love you. Let me ask you a question. If, if you're believing that, are you going to want to go out and tell others about God's love? 
If the evil one has convinced you that God doesn't love you because of things you've done or things you're doing, are you going to be motivated to go tell people God loves you so much when you don't actually believe that God loves you? Is that going to be hard to do that? I would think so. And that's been true in my own life. When I'm believing those things, I have absolutely no motivation to go tell others about him. None. And then when I do, it feels fake. So for me, the key is, am I actually believing what's true or am I letting the evil one whisper his lies as he did in the garden? So in light of our problems, I hope you guys aren't too depressed right now because those are, those are big problems. But here's the thing. Unless we understand the problem, the solution's not going to make any sense. It's not. It's just like the gospel. Unless we understand that we're actually sinners without Christ in us, we're not going to understand the cross and the resurrection. We're not. We're just not. It's not going to make any sense. Because our problem is so big and our adversaries are significant, this is why Paul got on his knees. That's what I'm trying to bring us back to that. That's why Paul got on his knees. This wasn't a little prayer that he's like, oh, you know, maybe I should just pray for the church and encourage them. And for Paul, he knew these enemies well. And so he gets on his knees and he says, Father, help your church. Strengthen your church. If your Holy Spirit doesn't empower them and strengthen them and bring them deep down into your love for them, they're not going to be sustained. They're not going to be able to live out your mission in effective, long-suffering, sustainable ways. There'll be a flash in the pan, and then they'll get discouraged and check out. No, what does he say as, as the ultimate answer? then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And the Holy Spirit will empower this process, as we saw in verse 16. So how are we kept strong as we're trying to live out what Paul is inviting us into? How do we stay strong? It seems to me there is one answer in, this, in these verses, which is that our roots would go down into God's love for us. The way I picture it is God's love for us. God loves the world. We know that his love is, is here for humanity. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, that love actually goes in and fills all of who we are and goes all the way to the depths and bottom of who we are. So his love goes all the way up and all the way down and fills us. It's, 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 the, anchor, it's the anchor for our life. I think part of the problem for us is that, that why we don't engage with God's mission I do think it comes down to a love issue a lot of times. Um, I think that if we're honest, uh, as we're growing as a Christian, uh, and we start, the Holy Spirit starts revealing more to us and maturing us, uh, part of what the Holy Spirit does is he shows us more and more of our own sin and our own need for God each day. 
I think when we first come to Christ, we know we have some issues. I think the longer we journey with Christ, we know how deep our issues actually are. Am I right? If you're older here and walk with Jesus for a long time, you're a lot more humble usually because you realize, oh no, it's not just that I have a temper. No, it, it goes so much deeper than that. It's not just that I mean to certain people. It goes so much deeper than that. Um, I think that when we, as we grow and we start to look into our lives and see some of that stuff in us, I think it discourages us. I think we start to question, does God actually, does God actually love me? I think for a lot of us, uh, it's too scary to l- really look deep down in uh, to some of those issues that, that God is revealing in our lives. And so we end up, instead of looking down deep for the love of God that grounds all of who we are and sustains us and strengthens us, I think we start looking for other things to love us. I think we start looking outward to other things. Whether it's approval from other people. Um, we be, because we don't actually think God loves us and goes all the way down, and maybe he's abandoned us or stands far away from us, um, but we, as people, we're wired to always need deep, significant love. It's just true. I've never met a person who doesn't crave deep, significant love, ever. Even the most stoic people and hardened people usually need it the most. We all crave that. We all do. But the problem is if we spend all of our time not knowing and believing that God actually loves us in Christ and actually his love has filled our entire life and we can rest in it, know it, experience it, spend time with it, it grounds us, it soothes us, it calms us. If we don't believe that, we're going to be, by default, looking around us for that love. And so it's going to make living out the mission of God really hard, because if all we care about is the approval of people, because the only way I'm going to experience love is if these people like me, we're not going to confront them with hard things that the gospel calls us to. Or if we're obsessed that our, our career needs to give us all the significance we need and love we need, we're going to have a hard time disengaging. The stakes are too high. So what does this look like, just to close here? How do we jump in with this? Um, Ephesians 3 20 through 21 says, Now all glory to God, who's able through his mighty power work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we, all we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. God, what he's saying here is God's power works best through us when we're believing and resting in God's love for us. The more we can sit in God's love for us, the more we can fight together to believe God actually loves us and fills us with the Holy Spirit and with his love, the more we can rest in that, the more we are going to naturally want to live out his mission around us and tell other people about this love. So a good next step could be identifying what are those barriers in your own life to believing God loves you. I love this practice, and I encourage you to do it right now. When you think of God, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Look, as he's looking at you, what is it? All of you have an image. Some of you, that image is kind, a God who's tender, 
a God who's redeemed you and forgiven you and is close to you. You're in a healthy place. That's good. Some of us, God is a judge. His arms are crossed. He's displeased with us. He wants more and more and more and more and more. If that's our picture of God, as a child of God, it's going to be really hard to live out his mission because his love for us is not going to be saturating our life, and we're going to look for other things for that love and spend all of our time trying to get that love than trying to love others with the good news of the gospel. So, critically, that piece has to be developing. All of us have work to do in that. I'm not saying any of us have fully arrived at that. The enemy does not want us to believe God loves us, so it's not going to be this easy cakewalk. We need each other. That's why this prayer time is so important after church, because there are strongholds. There are things that hinder us from believing God's love for us. We need to pray, ask God to heal those things, restore those things. As he does that, as we start to go deep into the love of God, we can then start looking out around us to other people. I would encourage you this week, who's one person, maybe a neighbor, a coworker, who have you felt burdened for for a long time? Um, pray for one opportunity either to say something about Jesus or be Jesus for that person this week. It could be something simple. It could be saying, hey, is there anything I could pray for you for? You look like it's, it's been a hard week. Um, or, hey, do you want me to do that for you? I'm, I'm happy to do that, that part of your project. Like, I have some free time. I'm happy to help you. Um, what's one simple thing? Either saying or doing something like Jesus could be a blessing for those people. Um, again, I think if anything has been stirred up this morning, are they going to have prayer over here this morning? Yeah, okay. Um, I would say if anything has been stirred up in you in terms of what are the barriers that keeps me from believing God loves me, that's why the church is here. It's one of the reasons. We're here to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to bring these things into the light. None of us should be bearing these burdens completely on our own. I would encourage you to go and pray with the team over here that God would continue to remove those things so that we can actually rest in his love for us. As that happens, he's going to bear his fruit uh, into the lives of others through us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Um, Lord, thank you for this great invitation you've given us to uh, tell others, tell the whole world uh, about your love, about your truth, about your forgiveness. Um, Lord, we also thank you that you're aware that that's a hard mission because there are real enemies. Um, Lord, thank you for providing a solution in your love coming into our life and filling us so that we can actually rest in that love, be defined by that love, be calmed and soothed by that love so that we can actually go out and share with others in our own unique ways about your love. Lord, we know that that journey is hard. That journey is marked by ups and downs, roadblocks, stumbling, detours. Um, so, Lord, thank you that you're patient with us as we try our best to live this out. But thank you that Paul prayed for us that this would happen. Thank you that he, he saw our need for strength, for power, for love to live this out. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to...